happy to be here. So honored to be able to speak once again to this wonderful church, wonderful, wonderful collection of believers, the greatest assembly. Amen. I'm honored to stand in Pastor Anthony's uh, absence. Um, he is on vacation this time, but it's a well-deserved vacation. You know, some might say, well, he hasn't really been here, but he's been ministering. He hasn't been going on vacations. He's been out working. Amen. And so this is a, a much needed vacation that he takes every year with his brothers. And it's a blessing for us to allow him to go, to be uh, refreshed. You know, when you give out as much as he's been given out, he needs to take some time to take some in. So he's got something to give us. Amen. Amen. So, um, but I'm, again, I'm very honored that he would ask me to stand here tonight and preach. Um, I give honor to his wife and to his children as well. Such an awesome family. Amen. I want to give honor to the uh, campus pastors that are in the room tonight. Always blessed to have them and excited. That, that's all right. We got one person, two people, three people. Come on. The heroes of the faith right there. Heroes of the faith. I used to, you know, I used to say foreign missionaries were the heroes of faith. But then I realized I was selling short the North American missionaries. And just because they're not going overseas doesn't mean what they're doing isn't difficult. Doesn't mean what they're doing isn't hard. And it takes a lot of faith. It requires a lot of miracles and victories. And I'm just so blessed to be able to know personally three church planners. And, uh, you know, not too many people can say that. I got a bunch of friends that are church planners. And that's the coolest thing in the world. You know, and as I was thinking about them today, I was, I kind of had this thought about their children as well. And it's important that we give honor to their kids and their wives too. You know, the, the kids and their wives are just as much a part of the campus plant as they are. They're the ones that they're preaching, and they're, and they're, but those, the, the wife is there, and the children have to go through a lot. It's not easy being a preacher's kid or a pastor's kid. So when you see the kids, I know they're tender right now, but they're going to start growing up. And they're going to start. So just watch over them, pray over them, be a blessing to those kids in any way that you can. Amen. Amen. It's really cool to be a part of this church. I love being a part of this church, walking in week after week, Sunday after Sunday, Thursday after Thursday, Monday after Monday if you're part of CR, every other Tuesday for community group, every Wednesday for end times Bible study. Got a new one starting up, so make sure you sign up. Amen. Amen. We got a lot of stuff happening here. Got a lot of stuff happening here. And so maybe during, for one of these events, you might have invited somebody and said, hey, we got this going on. Maybe you'd like to come. And what the question I always get is, what church do you go to? So then I got to say, well, I go to the Pentecostal church. And then that leads to a whole bunch of other questions. And so the best way I can explain it is, is we're an apostolic Pentecostal church is what I tell people. We're Pentecostal in experience. Yeah. Pentecostal, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost fell. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's what we've received. If you receive the Holy Ghost, can I get a witness in here? You received the Spirit of the living God living inside of you, spoke with an unknown language, something that you weren't able to form on your own, but you know it came from God because if you could learn it, it wasn't from God. Amen. So we're Pentecostal in experience, and then we're apostolic in identity. Apostolic and identity, meaning we live the lifestyle or we teach, we preach what the, what the apostles believed. One God. 
one God. Jesus is his name. There's not a triune God. There's not three gods. There's not this guy consenting to this guy, talking to this guy. But we have one God who has all authority and has all power. Come on, somebody. We have one God, and his name is Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He doesn't change. There's nothing that changes about God. He is the same. He does not change. Heaven and earth will pass away. His word will remain. Amen. We have an all-powerful, all-knowing God. Amen. One God. We believe in uh, salvation in response to the gospel, meaning repentance. Repentance of our sins, turning from our old lifestyle. We're making a complete, not a 360, some people would say, but it's a 180. A 360, you're just right back in your mess. But a 180, we're walking away from that stuff that we were in. Amen. Amen. So we, we believe that repentance is essential to salvation. And before, once you've repented, now it's time to be baptized. You can, we need baptism and immersion, not sprinkling on the forehead, but we need baptism and immersion as an adult or as, as somebody that's of age, knowing what they're doing. Amen. And the baptism needs to be done in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Why? Because there's only power in that name. All power in heaven and earth is given to the name of Jesus. So we are apostolic in identity because we believe in one God. We believe in repentance. We believe in baptism in Jesus' name. We believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost as evidence was speaking with other tongues, as we've already mentioned. Amen. Amen. So when, I, when people ask me that question, well, what kind of church do you go to? It's diff- it's, it's, sometimes it's difficult because I say, well, I go to Pentecostal church. And then obviously the, the dumb questions come. Well, you guys got snakes there? You know? You know? You guys got snakes? You guys drinking Kool-Aid on Sundays? You know? You always got to hear that from the... But, you know, it's funny because I was probably that guy that would ask that question. You know? But we're, we're, we're different. We're different. We're set apart. The, Pentecostal, the apostolic Pentecostal faith is set apart from other faiths. We're different from other faiths, and I'm not here to, to demean any other faith or to say we're better or, or whatever, but I'm just telling you that we are set apart because of our, our experience, and we are set apart because of our lifestyle. Amen. We are set apart because of experience, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and we are set apart by lifestyle. Hallelujah, which is the apostolic identity. And the last portion of the apostolic identity that I want to talk about a little bit is holiness. Amen. We are distinct from others because of holiness. And I'm not just talking about outward holiness, holiness as the song was kind of alluding and it kind of just segued right into my points tonight. But we have to have an inward holiness. An inward holiness. The out, out, we can dress up the outside. You can put makeup on a pig, but it's still a pig. Right? We got to make sure that the inside is right. The inside is right. Amen. We got to make sure the inside is out. We don't want to be, uh, as he told, as he told the Pharisees, that they were inside full of dead men's bones. Amen. Makes me think of Ezekiel. Can these can these bones live? So if you don't have, if you were full of dead men's bones, let me tell you, all you need is the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, and you can live again. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So we're, we're apostolic in our identity. We're apostolic because of holiness. We're set apart from the world because of holiness. Holiness is not something that's meant to hold us down, but holiness is actually something that pushes us up. It's actually interesting. Some of you might know him, uh, Adam Solorio. He's cousins to Sister Ann. He grew up in this church. He's a, he's a pastor. He wrote a book. I forgot the name of it, but I read it, and, and he talked about a kite. And he talked about how when you fly a kite, the kite is soaring. It's way up there, but it's dependent upon the string. It's submitted to what the string is doing because when the string is let go, the kite comes down. 
But the kite can only get up there because it's submitted to the string. Amen. And it's soaring up there. So holiness is not something that's meant to hold us down. But holiness is something that actually elevates us and pushes us into our destiny, pushes us into what God is calling us to do. Amen. Amen. Holiness is how he calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, because because God is holy, he cannot, certain things cannot mesh. And you can see this from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, the very first chapter, it says that the, the earth was without form and it was void. And it was just darkness upon the face of the waters. And the spirit of God was just fluttering. And so we have nothing here. We just have chaos. We just have a whole lot of just chaos. There's no order to the system. There's no order to anything. It's just empty. And, and God speaks, and he says, let there be light. And as soon as he says, let there be light, he starts to divide. He starts to separate things. And he says, I want the light over here and the dark over there. And he separates the light from the dark. And then he creates the water. He puts a firmament. And the firmament is meant to divide the waters above the heaven from the waters which be below the heavens. And he divides that and he separates that and he puts this in this place and this in this place. And we got, so now we got light, we got day, we got the waters above, the waters below. Now he puts out land and he puts out seas and he separates them by boundaries. And it's, and it's the boundaries that he's setting up that actually protects everything. You see, because if the sea doesn't stop, it will overtake the land. And if the land doesn't stop growing, it'll grow above the sea. So it has to be a perfect harmony, but it only comes through because God's holiness begins to divide things and to set things up and put things in order as they should be. Creation itself tells us that God is holy. You see, God is a holy God, and his holiness is far above anything that we can imagine. We, can't even, we cannot even begin to fathom the fullness of the holiness of God. You know, we talk about the holiness of God, and we talk about holiness standards, and we talk about these things, but we can't even begin to talk about our holiness until we have a proper understanding of his holiness. Because there's nothing within us that makes us holy. Our, our righteousness is filthy rags unto God. The, that means the very best that we can do is nothing to the Lord. Our talent that we think we have, we only got it because God gave it to us. And so if we're using it for something else, it doesn't mean much to God because if it has to be operated within his holiness. And if we don't have an understanding of his holiness, then we can never, ever walk in true holiness. Amen. 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 I don't think in our mortal bodies we can even begin to experience the totality of the holiness of God. It's just, it's just impossible. There's just no way that we can, we can experience moments of, his, of an understanding of his holiness, which we should get that and we should keep that with us. But the totality of the holiness of God, the, the enormous uh, uh, honor that that should give unto God, I don't think we have that. Because if any of us truly understood how holy God is, we wouldn't do some things wrong that we do. You know, I'm, I'm, listen preaching to the choir right here, okay? I'm not perfect. I don't have a full understanding of God's holiness. I can guarantee you that. But God's holiness requires 
a separation. It requires a division of certain things. When Moses looked upon God, the holiness of God caused his face to shine. He went down, and the Israelites couldn't even talk to him. They're like, man, you got to put a veil over your face. Cover your face. It's too much for me to handle. And that was just the reflection or whatever it was coming off of Moses from God after he came down from the mountain. So we can't even imagine the power it, or the, 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 the intensity that it would feel to stand in the holiness of God. Just think about the moments when you've been confronted yourself with the holiness of God and you've prayed. And it just drives you to your face. And it drives you to your knees because you understand how small you are compared to this great and mighty God. He is so big. He is so powerful. And he is holy. 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 When Isaiah saw the Lord, he saw the the train would fill the temple and the angels were flying about and they would cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They said three times, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The book of Revelation, same thing. John the Revelator saw a vision of heaven. And what did he see? The angels crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It doesn't, not because there was three of them up there and he was addressing all three of them. But it's just to give us a glimpse of how holy God is. Because God isn't love, love, love. We don't say God is peace, peace, peace. We don't say God is Savior, Savior, Savior. But we do say God is holy, holy, holy. Mm. The holiness of God is absolute purity. It is absolute perfection. It cannot be measured because it is absolute. There is no beginning to God's holiness, and there is no end to God's holiness. He is exactly who he is, a holy God. Thank you, Jesus. When Solomon, I already kind of mentioned this already, but when Solomon was finished praying at the dedication of the temple, it says that the glory cloud of the Lord filled the house, that the priests weren't even able to enter in. And the Israelites were standing around, and they, were, they fell on their face, and they worshiped. You look at some of these other countries that they have hours and hours and hours of worship. They're rolling around in mud. They don't care. That's when you get a revelation of God's holiness. When you start, you don't care what's going on. You don't care how you look. All you want to do is worship God. All you want to do is give him the praise that he deserves. And all you want to do is sit there and weep and, and understand how small you are, how small your problems really are when it comes in the face of a holy God. A holy God. Praise God. Holiness. Holiness. When we start to experience the, the, the holiness of God, we have to understand we are just beginning to scratch the surface of who he truly is. We, that thought, that understanding, or that revelation needs to be a part of our life every day. Every day we must go about knowing and understanding that our God is holy. Because that will confront us in some of our issues. That's not even my message tonight. I'm just talking about the holiness of God right now. But, man, I could probably do that all day. I love, love it. Holiness is something that this church believes in. That's what sets us apart. But, see, I've only talked about God's holiness. 
But in Leviticus 19, 1 and 2, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy. God is holy, and therefore, by nature, he requires us to be holy. He requires us to be set apart. He requires us to be different. We have to understand that the requirements or the standards that he places on us are not more than we can bear, but they are the, exactly what we need. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about this coronavirus stuff that's going on, and, and it, the way people are acting, you would think it was the plague, and then you think back to the plague. And what, what was the only nation that was, was protected from the plague? The Israelites, because they lived according to the holiness standards that God placed upon them. Because God told them that they had to wash their hands, they did not get the plague. Because of the holiness standards of God, the Israelites were, were spared from this plague. That plague affected how we live today. Funerals are different now because of the plague. Funerals used to be celebrations, now they're what they are. Because of the plague. Bless you. When people would sneeze, that's where bless you comes from, from the plague. The plague has altered our way of living. But the Israelites were not affected. Why? Because they washed their hands because of a holiness standard that God put upon them. Amen. It was a protection. It was a protection. God is the same. He doesn't change. The, the, the world might change. The world's standards might change. But God's standards don't change. God stays the same. That stays the same. God stays the same. And so he set forth these holiness standards for us. And I, I, some of you might think, here we go, talking about holiness. He's going to get into gender distinction and standards of dress and all that. But I'm not going to talk about that today. I believe in it. I believe that men should look different from women. I believe that uh, the Bible teaches us very specifically about how we should dress, how we should act, and how we should talk. I believe that that is found. And if you would like to know more about holiness and kind of what we believe around here, I just refer you to the website. Pastor Anthony's preached eight messages or seven, and Sister Michelle preached one on a call to holiness. You can get that on the website, or you can, I, I don't, Sister Holly is working very diligently to get all of our series on Spotify. I don't know if that one's on there yet, but you can check Spotify. But listen to the holiness series. Listen to the holiness series. But today I want to look at holiness in a little bit different way. I want to look at holiness as it relates to us. We've been talking about God's holiness, but I want to talk about our holiness. God gave us a command to be holy. Why? Because he is holy. He is not the author of confusion. God doesn't operate in confusion, but he operates in clarity. And so God does, uh, wouldn't just tell us to be holy and then leave us with no options. He wouldn't just say, be holy, and then you guys can figure it out on your own. But he actually lists the things that we need to do. He gives us a manual on how to be holy. Amen. Amen. We have a manual here. So in the Old Testament, God gave Moses the Mosaic Law. And God gave Moses these commandments, and these commands dealt with a wide range of things. The, the Mosaic Law would teach us about sacrifice or the Israelites. It would teach the Israelites how to set up the tabernacle. It would teach the Israelites about uh, the Ten Commandments and, and all these things in, this, in the Sabbath Law and, and the Law of the Feast. And all these things would come through this uh, Mosaic law, but one section of these laws was given to us in the book of Leviticus. Specifically, I'm relating to chapters 18 through 20, and these chapters are affectionately known as the law of holiness chapters. Leviticus 18, 19, and 20. Three chapters there, and they all deal with the requirements of the people and how they were to be holy or how they were to be set apart. 
Chapter 18 deals a lot with sexual morality, how to abstain from that, talking about fornication with family members, uh, avoiding incest, avoiding adultery. That's kind of chapter 18. Then we get into chapter 20, and chapter 20 talks about child sacrifices. And again, it discusses uh, immorality, sexual immorality. But then chapter 19, we're going to go back now to chapter 19, and it begins with the Lord saying, Be ye holy, for I am holy. From that statement, the Lord begins to list things as... uh, that he has set apart as requirements for us to be holy. For instance, he talks about being reverence, uh, reverend, revering your parents. Children, you know, we have to, the kids have to be respectful of their parents. It talks about abstaining from idols. He talks about how to eat sacrifice, how to be respectful towards your neighbors. It talks about how to treat the poor. He even went so much as saying when you're, when you're, in the, when you're harvesting, leave some clippings for the poor. But then he comes to this statement, which is what I want to focus on tonight, and it's Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 through 34, where the Lord says, And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, ye shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwell with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and you shall love him as thyself, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So tonight, I want to talk about the forgotten factor of holiness. Amen. We are called to holiness, and then God gives us specifics on how to be holy. And then he comes to this statement. He says, if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, you shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. As many of you know, Egypt in Scripture represents sin. It represents the world bondage. Israelites were in bondage in Egypt. They were led out into this, uh, to the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. And a lot of times when the Bible is re- referencing Egypt, it, it, we, can, uh, we can relate that to be sin or the world or the bondage of the sin that we, we, we would find ourselves living in. And so Egypt represents sin, and the world that they're living in now is the new kingdom. They've, they've, they've left Egypt, and now they're living in the, they're, they're, they're going forward into the promised land to set up the kingdom of Israel. So the stranger is not how we would might think stranger. It's not somebody you don't know. It's just somebody that's not part of the kingdom. It's not some, somebody that's part of the kingdom. Somebody that's still in Egypt, maybe. Somebody that's outside the kingdom. So... Many of the people that we encounter on our daily lives would fit this profile. They're not in the kingdom of God, so they're strangers. You see what I'm saying? They're not, they're not part of the kingdom. They haven't been born again, so they're not members of this heavenly kingdom or this, or this kingdom of God, but they are strangers. They're foreigners, if you would say. For instance, I know, the, I know who the queen of... England is, right? But I'm still a stranger to them. If I was to visit the United Kingdom, I'd be a foreigner. I'd be a stranger. So anybody that would be outside of the kingdom of God, we would look at them as a foreigner or a stranger. And so if a stranger or a foreigner dwells among us, they shall be as unto one born among us. So we are, with the Bible, I feel, what I believe the Scripture is teaching us is that we are to love people regardless if they're part of the kingdom of God or not. 
We are to love people no matter what kingdom they're part of. We are to look at people outside of the kingdom of God as if they were in the kingdom of God. All right? So when you start thinking about your, your neighbor, my wife, and, and my wife does this more than I do. She's pretty good at it. But we, she'll start talking about people as Sunday school teachers. And she'll start talking about this person's going to be a music, a worship leader. Oh, that one, she's going to be an usher. That one's going to be a Sunday school teacher. We have to start seeing them, even though they're not in the kingdom of God. We have to start seeing them as though they are in the kingdom of God. Amen. It changes our perspective of how we look at somebody. It also gives us pause to actually look at somebody. Amen. We'll look at somebody rather than just glossing over them. You know, everybody you walk past that's a stranger now, you're supposed to love them as if it was yourself right there. It's all right. I knew it was going to be like this tonight. We have to love the people that are outside the church just as much as we love, if not more, than we love the people that are within the church. And let me tell you, this is a little off topic, but if, if you've got issues with somebody within the church, you need to get that right. You need to get that right. Because we're, I told Sister Vivian earlier, we're, we're entering into a time of multiplication, and I'm tired of division. Amen. We're entering into a time of multiplication. You look around this church and you start talking to some people. We got Sister Beverly doing awesome things, taking people out on Saturdays, visiting homeless people, bringing stuff out there. We got somebody teaching a Bible. Sister Bobby's about to teach a Bible study. Sister Carrie's going to teach a Bible study. Sister Candy's setting up a Bible study. Come on, somebody. When the Word of God multiplies, the people, when the Word of God increases, the people multiply. We're entering into a time of multiplication. We need to get rid of division. So if you got a problem with somebody, you got to get a revelation of the holiness of God and get that right. I'm telling you right now. But we got to love people outside the church just as much as we love the people within the church. We got to love them. And that's I'm, it's going to be simple tonight, but that's what it's going to be. If you if we believe that the apostolic doctrine teaches us that we must be holy and set apart, that we must love the people that are not part of our kingdom. It is a requirement of God. It is a requirement right here in Leviticus. If a stranger, if a foreigner, if somebody's not part of your kingdom is among you, treat them as one of your own. Love them as you love yourself. Why? Because we were strangers once too. We were, we were strangers once too. I'm 38. You can look at me 15 years ago and I'm a totally different dude. I was a stranger once too. And who knows? Who knows? You reach one person, who that person can be. Anyone that's not native to the kingdom would be a stranger. And we are to love them. We are to love them. We are to love them. We are to care for them as though we would care for ourselves. It's time. It's time for us to get our our noses a little lower. And we've got to start looking at people. Sister Vivian said it so wonderfully last Wednesday. We need to, we always pray for the other people's eyes to be open. We always pray for their blinders to be taken off. But we need ours to be taken off. We need our eyes to be open.
We need to be able to see the people around us and see what they're going through. The Bible talks about looking upon the needs of others more than our own needs. If we're not looking upon the needs of others, then what are we doing? What are we doing? We have this, we have this Holy Spirit, and what are we doing with it? We can go on and on. We're supposed to be good stewards of what God gave us. How are you being a good steward, or how am I being a good steward of the Holy Ghost if I'm not witnessing? When's the last time I brought somebody to church? When's the last Bible study I taught? When's the last time I bought somebody a meal? When's the last time I sent somebody a text letting them know I loved them? When's the last time I went out of my way to do anything for anybody else? That's, that's not love. It's not love. <clears throat> we have to love people. Think back to when you first came into the church. Think back to when you first got the Holy Ghost. What was your response? How many people did you tell? Because me, you couldn't shut me up when I got the Holy Ghost. Actually, you couldn't shut me up before I got the Holy Ghost, but and you ain't going to shut me up now tonight either. Just kidding. But think about it. When you first got the Holy Ghost and you first received revelation of the holiness of God, and you first received the holy presence of God living within you. First thing you did was when you went and told everybody. You went and told everybody. So why did we stop telling people? Did we lose the holiness of God? Did we lose the Holy Spirit? You see, Acts 1 and 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and, all, and Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. See, when we receive the Holy Ghost, we receive power. But when we receive the Holy Ghost, you can't receive, we don't just receive a ghost. We receive a Holy Ghost. And the holiness of God becomes evident in our mind. And we start to receive and we start to understand that there's something much bigger than me in this world. There's something greater in me now that I've ever, ever experienced in my life. And I want to tell everybody I know about it. And so you kind of wonder, you know, the Bible says that he's talking about he wrote the law in stone, but later he'll write it on the tablets of our heart. And you got to wonder, is Leviticus 19, and 34 just written on our heart automatically when we get the Holy Ghost? But then we allow the world and the things around us to kind of cloud that voice. See, right away, we, right away we become witnesses. Right away we start loving people. Right away we start wanting, hey, i got to bring this person. i got to bring that person. I remember my old church, I, I, I moved. There was four sections of pews like this, but it wasn't chairs. It was pews. And I moved to the one section that was empty. And I kind of planted a flag there. And I told them, I said, I'm going to fill this section up. Why? Because I, the Holy Ghost, the holiness of God, let me know that in, in order for me to be holy, in order for me to be what God wants me to be, in order for me to be called of God, I need to be reaching for people. In order for me to be walking in the will of God, I need to be reaching for people. Amen. Amen. We are given the Holy Ghost to be witnesses. The experience of receiving the Holy Ghost is greater than anything we've ever received.
I said, must have said Siri. Cause... Jude explained it like this. Jude, chapter 1, verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Get strength. Build yourself up. Be strengthened. Be renewed. Receive a fresh revelation of the holiness of God. And when you do, you will make a difference. The Bible says with some, some have compassion. Some have compassion. When we have compassion, when we have love for people, we're going to make a difference. When we have love and compassion for others and we understand that their needs are greater than our needs, we will make a difference. I mean, I love you people. I do. I say it all the time. I love this church. But I want to see some new faces. I want to love some new people. I want to love some more people. As of, and I'm not, I'm not doing this to talk about me in any kind of way. I'm not. But as 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 of Sunday, we've already got the, the van that goes out. We got the Thursday night van that goes out. Sunday mornings now, I'm going to be picking up two from two different locations, one within the city, one in Cal City, to bring more people. Now, I'm not doing that for that. But I want us to know, I want to see more people in the church. But if we don't love people... They're not going to be in the church. Some people have thick skin, and they'll stick through some stuff. But not everybody has thick skin. And, and, and if we don't love people with compassion, we won't make a difference. We won't make a difference. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. Love your neighbor. Treat those outside the church as though they were in the church, and your compassion will win their hearts to God. Outward holiness is important, but if we think it supplants the necessity of inward holiness, we got it all wrong. It's got to be holiness on the inside before we fix the outside. It doesn't matter what we do to the outside. If the inside ain't right, it ain't right. We got to be focused on the stranger around us. Some are going to respond to our compassion, but others need to be pulled from the fire. So I got to thinking, you know, I, many of you know I work as a paramedic for the city of Chicago. So I, I don't, I'm a, I work for the fire department. I'm going to clear up some confusion. But I don't fight fires. Okay? I work on the ambulance. There's other guys that fight fires. I was too old to get on that fire side. So I just, I work on the ambulance full time. So, but in the course of my job, I'm required to respond to fires. And sometimes I get, you know, that, let's just say that that's the house that's burning right there. And, and I'll be, you know, just standing right here, staring at the house that's burning, just kind of waiting. Somebody gets hurt, I got to save them, right? But I ain't going in there. <laughs> I don't got the gear, right? I got the tools. I got what they need. I can save their life. 
I can intubate them. I can shock their heart. I can do all that cool stuff. But if they don't get to me, it does them no good. So, so it's, the fire, it's the firemen that pull them out. And so my, the point I'm trying to make is if, 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 this is a, if, if you guys are on fire right here and I'm right here, I can't pull them out. But I got to get in the fire with them. I got to get in the fire with them. I got to find out what they're hurting with. I got to find <laughs> that's an inside thing. I'm sorry. I got to find out what hurts them. I got to find out what's, what's bruised them. I got to find out what they're hurting, what they're struggling with. And when I find out what they're struggling with, cause the only way I'm going to find that out is because I got in the fire with them. We got to get in the fire with somebody. Hey, oh, your mom's sick? I'll pray for you. Never see him again. You need this? Oh, you're struggling with addiction? You know what? We got a spot Mondays. Come to church on Monday. I won't be there, but you can go to their church on Monday. You got to get in the fire with some people. The only reason you're going to be in the fire with somebody is because you love them. Think about it. If your house was burning and, something, and, you're, and somebody was in the house, you're going back in for them because you love them. If you don't love them, you're going to let them burn. It's true. You're going to let them burn. But now that's, that's, that's a natural story that I'm talking about, the, but the spiritual application is the same. If we don't love people enough to tell them something, they're going to burn. And not just a little burn, an eternal burn, a fiery death. Death, hell, damnation, weeping and gnashing of teeth, darkness. But I know you already got your pajamas on, don't need to go out. Why would I change? Listen, brother, I would help you out, but it's 530 and I'm already laying down in bed. Got to get in the fire. We got to love people. We got to love people. Part of being holy is loving people. Part of being holy is loving people. Part of being holy is putting yourself in positions you don't want to be in for the sake of others. I knew it was going to be quiet tonight. It's okay. That's okay. If we're not in the fire with them, we can't pull them out. And we'll never be in the fire if we don't love them. It was during a discussion that Jesus was having that we read of this exchange between him and a scribe. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord, with, you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. We do pretty good here. We do really good with this, right? Oh, yeah, I can love God. I can worship God. I can praise God. We do pretty good with this. But the second commandment is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
There is none other commandment greater than these. We can love God, but we have to love our neighbor. And let me just, yeah. So the scribe answers them and says, well, master, you have said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the scribe understands. He says, you know what? You're right. I have to love my neighbor just as much as I love God. And that is more than every sacrifice that I can give. It is more than every offering that I can give. Even the collection of all the, of the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices, it is more to love God and to love our neighbor. And this is what the scribe says. The scribe says, man. And it's kind of funny because Jesus is given the answer, and the scribe's kind of like, yeah, you, that's a good answer. And he kind of validates what Jesus says. But then Jesus answers him one more time, and he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. If we want to be near to the kingdom of God, we have to love God and love people. If you, I'm going to tell you something. If we, if, only, if we only love God, we're not as near to the kingdom of God as we think. We're not as close to the kingdom of God as we think because the, the closer you get to the kingdom of God, the more you're going to love somebody else. The more you're going to put others' needs ahead of yours. The, the more, the closer we get to the kingdom of God, the, the closer we're going to become to those around us, to seeing their needs, to hearing their needs. Amen. We've all been called by God to reach for the lost. If, if you were to take an honest assessment of our church, I would think that this would be our number one struggle, is loving people more than ourselves. And it's not a condemnation upon this church. It's not a condemnation upon the people of this church, because I have already said I love you very much, and I'm, I'm blessed and I'm honored to be a part of this church. But if you were to take an honest assessment of where we are at as a church, we pray. We can pray. We can see God. We got great music. We can worship. We got great hospitality. Our security is tight. We got great leaders. We got an awesome pastor. We're blessed. We're blessed. But do we love? Do we love? Do we love others? God says, you shall be holy. He didn't say, if you want to be holy, you can be holy. He didn't say, if it fits your understanding, you can be holy. He said, you shall be holy. And part of being holy is loving others. Amen. Let's stand. I don't mean to make this overly simple tonight, and I'm, I'm hoping... The response is going to be what it should be. But time is short. 
Time is short. There's one enemy of the church that we, we can't defeat, and that's time. We can defeat the world. We can defeat the enemy. We can defeat sin, all that stuff. We just can't beat time. Time is, keeps on ticking. And every time this, every second it ticks by, it takes us one step closer to the coming. And there's a lot of people in our lives that aren't here tonight that probably should be. And so I want to ask ourselves, have I treated the foreigner with kindness? Have I looked upon the needs of the foreigner as though they were my needs? As you, as you read through that 19th chapter of Leviticus, you'll see God talks a lot in that about us being selfish and only caring about ourselves. He talks a lot about caring for the poor in that chapter. He talks a lot about caring for those that can't take care of themselves. We're blessed. We are so blessed. Look at this building. We are, we are beyond blessed. But we should not let our blessings become cursings. Where we get so fat off the blessings and we get so fat off the, the, spiritual, uh, the spiritual moves of God in this place. And we get so fat off the preaching and we get so fat off the teaching and we, that we have no time for anybody else. And we got all these things that we have going on, which are, which are awesome. We need these things going on. But if, and I tell pastor this, I say it all the time, if there's anything, if there's ever a program that we would do that would interfere with me teaching Bible studies or reaching for the lost, then I don't want to do the program. If there's ever, if I'm ever doing something that ties me up so much that I can't teach a Bible study, then I shouldn't be doing what that other thing is. I teach the New Beginnings class, and I always teach them if some people are talented in music. Well, in, 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 my, in my view, which is this is just me, this is not, but in my view, before you should ever play an instrument, you better have won a soul. You better have taught a Bible study. You better have taught somebody. You better have led somebody to repentance, led somebody to baptism. And if... if and, pastor knows it, and I'll say it again, if I'm not doing it, don't let me preach. I got no business being up here if I'm not reaching out. I got no business trying to teach people about anything if I'm not loving people. We have to get that understanding. Being selfish is not befitting a Christian. It's definitely not being holy. Amen. I'm going to open up these altars now, and I ask that you would come. Respond to the word. I know it was...